excited to be together this morning, excited to navigate into week two of our series entitled Lent, Reflection and Preparation. We started this, this uh, conversation last week, and we began this discussion in the, the conversation of Lent, and this is not something that we're real familiar with in the evangelical church. If you grew up in a Catholic church or in a more liturgical uh, type of worship atmosphere, you are probably more familiar with Lent. But our desire in embracing some of the realities of what this season of Lent, this journey to uh, the Passion Week, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter, is really to engage a posture of reflection. See, as we enter this season, my desire is that we would, we would take a, a reflective approach to what God did in sending His Son so that we could have life and hope and ultimately be able to share that hope with others. The hope that Jesus came, died, and was resurrected so that we could have life. So that we could have life to the full. And as humans, we've been created in the image of God to reflect His goodness. This imago Dei, as it's uh, stated in the Latin, is a representation of who God desired us to be when He created you and me. But the reality is when sinners entered the world, it, it marred that image and we were immediately and desperately in need of a Savior. And we were in need of a human Savior. Someone like us. Someone who had walked through life, endured temptation, endured struggle. Someone perfect and someone who perfectly reflected the image of God. We, we needed Jesus. And Jesus came in human form, fully God, fully man, and lived a perfect life, died a shameful death, and then was resurrected so that we could be restored to our right image, the image of God. See, human beings were created to be God's image bearers at the beginning. We were created to carry his image, to reflect His glory. And every one of us has been created in the image of God to truly reflect God's image of love and mercy in the world. That's our, that's our, our, our goal. That's our purpose. That's why we exist. And this idea of being created in God's image can be a bit confusing, though. And sometimes even almost a bit overwhelming. I don't know about you, but when I read Scripture and I see that we were created in the image of God, man and woman, we were created, I look at myself and I go, I don't know if I'm reflecting God. And sometimes that, that is almost a burden of responsibility. Like, I, I don't think I can. God's perfect. He's all-powerful. He's almighty. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. I'm not that guy. But Scripture says we were created. Reflect his image. See, we believe the image of God is not so much something that man has as something that man is. It's not so much who you're striving to be, it's who you are. God has created you to reflect him. The pastor and scholar John Piper states it this way Humankind was created to be a graphic image of the Creator, a formal, visible and understandable representation of who God is and what He's really like. Think about that. 
God created us so that every one of us would have a picture of God. That when we show love, when we show kindness, when we forgive, when we walk with grace and mercy, people see God in our lives. And it was this way from the beginning. Genesis 1, verse 27 says, So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. He says it twice. In the image of God, we were created. God created man in His own image. Why do you think it was so important that we be created to reflect our Creator? Admittedly, I, I often I, I look at my own life, my thoughts, my decisions, the directions I've gone, the, the detours that I've taken, and I haven't always felt that I represent the heart of God, the image of God. Certainly haven't represented it very well. There's those moments in life that I can recall being angry with my kids or not speaking to my wife the way I should or getting upset with my neighbor or you know those moments when you're driving and somebody cuts into your lane a little too close and you you know you you, you get right up on their tail and and I flip my brights at them like that's going to accomplish anything but it makes me feel better somehow and we don't often reflect God's glory we don't reflect the heart of God we get wrapped up in our earthly image, trying desperately to reflect what really equates to a lesser image. We strive and we, we, we yearn for things that aren't of God. We purpose ourselves to be successful and, and we chase things that really don't reflect God's glory. So what is it about our self-image that causes us to desire to promote ourselves? I know none of you do this, but I have a tendency, you know, when I am at home and I'm, you know, getting some things done, I'll, you know, do the vacuuming, I'll take out the garbage, I'll do a bunch of stuff, and then when Gretchen gets home, I'll kind of stand there. And she'll look at me and I'll say, did you notice the, see the little stripes on the carpet? Not bad, right? Not bad. We want these accolades. We want these, you know, the, the affirmation. We want people to notice that we're great. The reality is we strive for our own benefit, for our own accolade. And we get, we get wrapped up in positions and titles. We, we get our business cards out and we're like, there you go. I've got about 6,000 of those in my desk. This is the first one I'm giving out. But we get excited about promotions and we get excited about the org chart you know and and we get all wrapped up in that and we lose sight of who God's created us to be I can remember when I was a young man I uh, was a part of a church in Salem that put on this festival up in Vancouver Washington some of you are probably familiar with it, it was called Jesus Northwest and it was this big festival where all these Christian artists would come out and they you know they would have concerts and there would be speakers and it was awesome. It was tons of fun. You know, thousands of people would come out. And so this one uh, season I was, I was working this back gate area. So the stage was all set up and people would come in and the artists would come out and perform and they had this, this little gravel road that went back to the hospitality trailer where the, where the artists would hang out before they went on. 
and they had these vans and they'd go back and forth from the hotel and the airports to bring these artists in. And I got to work the little gate that kept that secure and kept people that weren't supposed to be backstage from you know, all those crazy fans. And so I was out there this one afternoon and uh, this tr- little pickup truck comes rolling up with a car behind it. And I immediately recognized the guy driving as um, an artist who will remain unnamed for reasons that you'll figure out here in just a second. <clears throat> and I walked up to his, his, his door and, and uh, he said, hey, um, I need to get back here with my friends and uh, the people in the car. And he showed me his backstage pass. Well, the policy was nobody goes backstage unless they have a pass. Well, his friends didn't have a pass. So me being the stickler of security that I was, I said, well, that's awesome. Um, you're, you're good, but your friends are going to need to go get backstage passes. And he goes, no, no, you don't understand. They're with, they're with me. Um, we're just going to be coming back here. We've got to do a couple things, and we'll be out of the way. I said, no, you... You don't understand, if they don't have a backstage pass, then I can't let them back. It's just, it's our policy, I'm sorry. And he goes, no, no, no. And he gets out of, he opens the door and gets out of his car, and he goes, do you know who I am? I was like, oh, so it's like that. I said, yeah, actually, I know exactly who you are. And I said, I'm really sorry, but this is the policy. Oh, I want to talk to, I want to talk to your supervisor. So I was like, okay. Dad? Um, can you come up here because so-and-so wants to talk to you about getting his friends backstage. Anyways, it was, it was one of those surreal moments where, you know, throws down the, do you know who I am? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know who you are. Yeah. And it was a moment where the guy's pride took over. And the whole situation was just ugly. Yeah, I actually thought he was going to try and hit my dad, which would have been funny because that wouldn't have gone well. But we get to this place where we kind of want to put on our pride and we want to, do you know who I am? I can remember as a young kid when my dad was a pastor and he was running this organization and he was pretty well known in the church and, you know, somebody was giving me grief. I'd be like, do you know who my dad is? Yeah. You know my dad, Pat? Yeah. Pastor Pat? No. And I would get all kind of uppity about that. And I can remember when Gretchen and I were. Portland for a few years um, when my daughter felt like it would be a good idea to pull that card. Uh, We were at Horizon Christian and she was a student and I was an administrator and uh, she was waiting at our middle school campus. I was over at our high school campus. There's two campuses about a mile from each other. So I was running late to pick her up. Of course, she's got her phone out. She's, you know, texting like crazy. Where are you? When are you coming to get me? Running late. And she wasn't supposed to have a phone out. Because our policy was cell phones stay in the pocket. Because typically what would happen is a parent would drive up and the kids are like this. Hey, your, your parents are here. Hey. Anyways, so that was the policy. So my, my, my daughter's texting me and I get there and I can see that the te- teaching assistant's a little annoyed. I'm like, huh, that's weird. She's a really nice gal. I wonder what's going on. Well, the middle school vice principal calls me into her office and she's laughing. Because we work together. And she's like, oh, this is so funny. Leah did this. <laughs> like, what's going on? She said, well, she was told to put her phone away uh, several times. And she proceeded to say, uh, you know my dad is the head of school, right? Well, that didn't go over well for my daughter. We had a little chat about that. I said, well, yeah, we don't, we're not going to pull that card. But we get to that place sometimes where our pride wells up inside of us. And we want to say, hey, you know who I am? 
we struggle with this identity component. Too often we tend to look at the image of God as something we need to put on. Like, okay, you know, I get up in the morning, you know, I'm going to brush my teeth and do all the stuff I need to do, do my devotions, and I'm going to put on the image of God. That's how it's going to work. But the reality is this Imago Dei, this image of God is something that we possess. It's not something we choose. It's a condition given to us by our Creator. We didn't choose it and we can't unchoose it. You weren't created in the image of God and then you can just step away from that. Every one of us were created in God's image. This Imago Dei is that gift of God's image to us which constitutes an ongoing state of being we whom God loves. What, what an incredible gift. Not only to be given the likeness of God, but, but be those who are His chosen. Those who are His beloved. See, nothing can change our status of being God's chosen people, God's chosen children. We only need to embrace it. We only need to accept our true identity. See, as we strive to understand God's decision to set us apart for His glory, there was He, he created everything. You have to understand, heaven and earth, you know, all the beasts of the field, everything. And then He created man and woman. And He created us in His image. The only thing in creation we see that He created in His image. And He gave us free will. And He gave us the ability to worship. He gave us the ability to love. He gave us the ability to discern. But as we understand God's decision to set us apart, we still have to navigate the struggle of the decisions that we make that erode the image of God in our lives. Because we do stupid stuff. We do stuff that grieves the heart of God. We do stuff that, that makes people go, I thought that guy was a Christian. That's not very Christ-like. See, we have to understand sin ruined the image of God in each of us. When sin entered the world, the image of God was fractured. It was marred. It was screwed up. It was messed up. And we know that sin entered the garden entered the world through Adam and Eve in the garden. But immediately, the image of God in each of us was marred and distorted. Do you understand that, that, that when sin happened, immediately, Adam and Eve were like, wait a second, we're, we're naked. And they, they panicked, and apparently the, the trendy wardrobe for the day was fig leaves, and so they grabbed some of those and threw some garments together. But they were in shame. They came to this place where they were in shame and they ran from God and they hid from Him because their image had been distorted. See, we were created as image bearers of God, but this was messed up in the fall. Think of a mirror. A mirror reflects and is filled with whatever it is turned toward. Right? Look in the mirror in the morning, we're like trying to get ourselves ready, and we're like, what is that on my face? It can't. Oh, it's on the mirror. Okay. And we 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 struggle with what we see sometimes in the mirror, but 
when we are created in God's image, we're created to reflect Him. We were created as, as mirrors facing God. You understand? We were meant to be filled with Him. Whatever is filled in the mirror, that is what it will reflect. As a kid, I always loved going to the fair. Any, anybody like to go to the fair? Nobody. Perfect. All right. Brandy likes to go to the fair. Fantastic. Brandy, let's go to the fair sometime. It'd be great. Everybody else is going to skip it. But I always loved going to the fair. There was always there's rides and there was food. I'm not going to lie. I still like an elephant ear. It doesn't do good things to me, but I like them. Okay? Something about cinnamon and sugar. It's a marriage of two beautiful things. But there's the experience, right? You go and you, you, you look at the people that, that have you know, put the rides together and you go, ah, why not? Right? And we, we do all these things knowingly, knowing there's just an experience that comes with the fair. But I always liked to go into, they were like the hall of mirrors or the fun house. You ever go into one of those and they got all the, the funky mirrors? You know, you go up and you, the first one you stand, and you're like, yeah, that's me. And then the next one you go in and you stand and you're like, no, that's not me. And then the next one you're like, mm, okay. And you, you know, then the one you do this thing and it kind of makes it, you know, you... I'm apparently the only one who did that. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about though, right? In a theory. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, seriously, what is going on here? Because I had a jacked up childhood. And nowadays, we've got Instagram and we've got Snapchat filters, right? You can be anything you want. You can look younger. They've even got little old filters that you can look older. If you really want to do that. You can have kitten ears now or a little dog snout, you know, with the tongue hanging out. It's awesome. I mean, everything we all wanted to be when we grew up. But the truth is, all of these things, the mirrors, the filters, all this stuff, distorts the truth of who we are, who we've been created to be. See, sin is, is the, the turning away from God. We turn away when we make our own decisions. We turn away and we chase this and we pursue that and we turn our back on God and we go our own direction and we struggle. It is worshiping other things besides God. See, remember, a, a mirror will be filled with that which it is facing. So whatever you're seeing and struggling through in life, what is your mirror facing? What is your mirror pursuing? Because that is what is going to be reflected in your life. You may be chasing after a job or a career or a promotion. You may be chasing your kids around town and doing this, that, and the other thing. Those are all great. But at the end of the day, that is what your life is going to reflect. Things that you're pursuing. So what is the mirror of your life filled with? See, we tend to get consumed with a lot of things that detract us from reflecting the image of God. And they're not even bad things. Family and kids. God's blessed us with families and kids. Work, careers, the opportunity to, to gain wealth. These are not bad things. Friends, 
recreation, time away, retreat, all good things. But when our focus and our pursuit becomes those things, what good does a man gain? He gains the whole world and yet loses his soul. We struggle with the things that we pursue. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 is very clear. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If we seek God first, everything else will happen. If we reflect God perfectly with the mirror of our life, all these things will be added. That's an incredible promise, friends. But we chase them. And we give less to God because we're pursuing things that He desires to give us anyways. Our focus needs to become that of seeing the plan and purpose of God at work in our lives daily. Every day. God, what is your plan? What is your purpose? What is your desire? Because God's greatest desire is that we would return to His image and reflect His love. That we would come back to that place of remembering who created us in His image to love the way that He loved. Every one of us was created in God's image to worship Him and to share His love on earth. That's our plan. It's not difficult, it's not complicated, but yet we tend to do that with it. Psalms chapter 8 is our text for today. If you want to flip there in your Bibles, you can. Um, if you don't, it should be up on the screen. Uh, we also have the Version Bible app. Just search Neighborhood Church Events. But Psalm chapter 8 says this in verse 1, Our Lord, our Lord, O Lord, our Lord, sorry, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. What an amazing passage of Scripture where we see David worshiping God. He opens this passage of Scripture and closes it with worship. And it's interesting, the, the, the verbiage. If you, if you look at the screen, I don't know if it's up there or not, the beginning of the passage and the end of the passage. If you look at it closely in your Bible, O Lord, our Lord. O Lord, uppercase Lord. O our Lord, lowercase Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. David starts by worshiping and declaring the covenant name of God. Big Lord, Yahweh, God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And then he declares 
the positional authority of God over the people of Israel. We are declaring you are our Lord. You are king. You are ruler over us. So it is both an acknowledgement of God's power and authority, and it's a submission, a declaration of submission. You are our Lord. We submit ourselves to your lordship. It's this amazing picture of declaring the glory of God and submitting to it simultaneously. See, David embraces at the outset that we are called as humans to engage the world in and through our love. He declares that. And love is what moves us. To be human is to worship God through His very nature. Because God is... That was, that was the response of part of the, the, the message. God is... Okay, we're sort of catching on. This is like, you know, week after week. I think, anyways. God is love. But David's words here probably bring about a bit of confusion regarding how we tend to see ourselves in light of God's true image. Because the reality is when we look at our lives, we say, I don't probably reflect love very often. Sometimes I struggle. But David says, you have crowned humans with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. So not only is God good, and He's created us in His image, He's given us power over everything. But we don't probably likely recognize that in our daily lives, do we? We don't look at ourselves as God's anointed. We don't look at ourselves as God's chosen. We don't look at ourselves as rulers over the dominion over the earth. We're just subjects of, maybe? And we struggle with this reality of image. We don't feel like we're crowned with glory and honor, but instead maybe more with guilt and shame because we know ourselves. We know the things that go through our heads, the thoughts, the, the decisions, the things that, that we pursue and that aren't of God. But the reality is we were created to be worshipers. We are created to be worshipers. The issue is that we don't worship the right things. We worship. We worship our sports teams. We worship our jobs. We worship our families. We worship a lot of, a lot of things. God's desire is that He would be the focus of our worship. When we look back to Genesis, we can see that this is clearly how humans were created. But when sin entered the world, so did guilt and shame. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were shamed. They were shameful. They were ashamed of, who, of what they looked like and that they could see their nakedness. See, we love self-created realities as if they were God's ultimate reality for our lives our own pursuits, our own dreams, our own desires, and hoping that's in alignment with God. And they tend to let us down. 
I found it to be true in my own life. I pursued things. I ran after things. And then I was disappointed and I was discouraged. And then we're left with guilt and shame. See, we need to embrace the simple reality that Jesus is the true, full image of what we're called to be. You want to see what it looks like to reflect God? Look at Jesus. He's crowned with the glory and the honor that David speaks of. All the work of God is personified in Jesus. He is the true image bearer of God. Colossians 1.15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. I don't know about you, but I've never seen God face to face. I don't think I ever will. Probably until I stand before Him in eternity. But the Son of God is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. See, where we've failed to represent God well as His image bearers, Jesus succeeded. Where we were flawed, He was perfect. Where we failed, He shined bright. This should give us hope to reflect God's image in following Jesus' example of love and service to other people. When we love and serve people well, we reflect God's image. When we show kindness, we reflect God's image. When we give and serve without, without any strings attached, we reflect God's image. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can fully embrace God's perfect plan to reflect His glory. Here's the reality. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried on my own to do the right things in my life. I'm like Paul. The things that I want to do, I, that I don't do. And the things that I, I don't want to do, that is what I do. But when we allow the power of the Holy Spirit to, to come and work in our lives, we have the ability to walk in partnership with God and reflect His glory. See, God's perfect plan must become the central purpose of our lives. His plan has got to become our plan. His purpose has got to be our purpose. Too many people who have been created in the image of God are settling for less than. I'm just telling you right now, we're settling for so much less than God desired when He created us in His image. God's desire is that every day you would look in the mirror of His plan and His purpose for your life and see the eternal value in it. That you would see yourself as His chosen. That you would see yourself as His set apart. And that you would step into that identity. The problem is, too often people's priorities become mixed up, not allowing them to embrace God's very best for their lives. We mix up our priorities. I call it this less than living. We can see it in, in, in lots of different areas of our lives. We don't always give our best. The way we eat, the way we care for our bodies, I probably should have stopped at the first bucket of popcorn when Mike and I went to the movies yesterday. But no, 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 no. I got a large, so I went back and got a refill. 
and I still am feeling it. But we don't care for ourselves. We, we don't care for our bodies. We, our level of investment in relationships and communities sometimes suffers because we just don't feel like it. It's too hard. We talked about it last week. We, we tend to become con- content just eking out an existence in life. And I sometimes wonder if people fully understand the consequences of not fully investing themselves in God's plan. I don't, I don't know that we really consider it. And it's, it's interesting to me because we seem to understand this in the natural with our, with our work and, and with, with our relationships and with our finances and all these different areas. You know, we, we look at work and we go, okay, yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going I'm to work hard and, and I'm going to show up and I'm going to do my best and I'm going to exceed the expectations and I'm going to see promotion, and I'm going to see advancement, and good things are going to happen, or we don't, and we don't have a job. There's a consequence. And we, we see it similarly in our, in our finances. Uh, we live within our means, we maintain a budget, we invest wisely, and we, we, don't, we aren't wasteful in our spending. And, 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 and over time, we, we see a financial independence, and we see financial freedom and we see the blessings of God in our finances and our resources. Or, we don't prioritize those things and we struggle financially. And we endure a burden of financial stress that plagues us throughout our lives. Or, in the worst case, we find ourselves financially bankrupt. But why don't we have the same mindset when it comes to our spirituality? We don't prioritize spiritual disciplines. We don't prioritize the things that are going to drive us forward in our walk with Jesus. We spend time in the Bible and prayer when we happen to think about it or we've got a little extra time because we woke up early. We're not even sure if people who we work with know that we're Christians, know that we're followers of Jesus. We attend church just as, as long as there are no weekend conflicts, you know, with sports or vacation or those days that we just rather stay home. I know. I'm hitting some hot buttons. Or we believe the command to financially support the work and outreach of the church is an optional one. Why would I need to partner with what God is doing financially? The reality is we may not be financially or socially bankrupt, but are we running the risk of spiritual bankruptcy by settling or deciding for less than in our lives? Because God created you in His image. In the image of God, He created you. Speaking of settling for less than, there's a familiar story in John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in, in Aramaic Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed... 
And one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. 38 years this guy had been trying to get into the pool to to be healed. And at times you know he had just given up and said, well, everybody's getting in ahead of me, I just can't. And he was settling for less than. He was settling for less than God had desired for his life. The God who created him in his own image. You know, Richard Rohr in his book, Wondrous Encounters, sums this passage up a different way. He says this, In John's Gospel, we see another image of fruitful and healing water fittingly called Bethesda or House of Mercy. Now, we have the healing waters available and bubbling, a house of mercy for sure. But a man who is right there not making use of it, he is paralyzed as much in his spirit as in his body. This is the real sin and tragedy that he must be healed of. He is playing the victim. I have no one to plunge me into the pool. By the time I get there, someone else has already beat me in. And he's been saying this for 38 years. See, Jesus orders him up and tells him to pick up his mat and walk for himself. Jesus mirrors his best self for the man. He empowers him and gives him back his own power. He images him. He gives the man back to himself by giving him his self. This is the way it has to happen. Because we all begin to see ourselves as other people see us, for good and for ill. With Jesus, it is always for good. But such perfect mirroring also carries further relationship and responsibilities with it. See, when we step into the image of God, there's a responsibility that comes along with it. That we choose to live our lives differently. That we choose to reflect God instead of reflect whatever we were pursuing before. That we begin to turn away from the stuff that was carrying us away from God's plan and purpose to step into His true purpose for our lives. The only question is, are we willing to embrace the power God has already given us through Jesus to live a life that fully reflects Him? Are we willing? Because it's up to us. See, the greatest reflection of God's image is to worship Him in the way that we live and in the way that we love. The greatest way for us to show God's glory on this earth is to live for Him and to love the way that He loves. Every one of us was created in God's image to reflect His goodness and love. Where we have failed to represent God well, Jesus redeems us and shows us again how to live. Those moments where you failed, those moments where you've fallen, those moments where you've been discouraged, those moments where you've hurt somebody, God redeems every one of them for His glory. 
you might have given up on yourself, God has not given up on you. The simplicity of living a life fully devoted to God's purposes is only accomplished when we remember not just who we are, but more importantly, whose we are. You were bought with a price. You are a chosen child of God, redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus and His resurrection power. Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You want to know how to reflect God? Serve the way that serve as unto God. Serve in a way that is pleasing to God. See, when we make the decision to follow Jesus with our whole heart, the Bible says we are transformed more into the likeness of the one from whom we receive our image. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its Creator. Don't just keep carrying around the stuff that you've been carrying your whole life. Take it off and put on the image of God because He's perfecting us more and more into His likeness. And as we grow daily in our journey of faith and our quest to reflect the heart of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 assures us, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It is the power of the Spirit of God in you and me that allows us to reflect God's glory. Nothing else. We're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We're not capable enough in our own power. But when the Spirit of God is working in and through us, we can reflect the One who created us. Being reminded of God's love for us shown through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can step into our true image of God and His love for everyone we meet. Finally, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because He suffered death so that by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone. Translation, Jesus took on the cross so you and me didn't have to. Jesus, now crowned with glory in heaven, he first humbled himself and became the truest human form of God's image for us. The perfect image. Even bearing an undeserving crown of thorns. Literally our crown of thorns. The only crown that we deserved. Jesus in his love for us 
exchanged his crown of glory for our crown of shame. This is how we can become truly human, truly imago Dei, image of God once again. When we step into that purpose that God has for our lives, each and every one of us. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Father, we worship you, God. We thank you. We thank you that you, in your love, created us in your image to reflect your glory and to worship you in everything that we say and we do. And God, we know that sin entered the world and, and, and our, our image was, was distorted, was marred, was destroyed. So there are times in our lives where we reflect anything but You. God, we ask that You would forgive us. Father, that You would help us to embrace our true identity, our true reality and who You are. We would understand how much You love us and how much You desire to welcome us back as those prodigals who have walked away from Your mirror began to pursue other things. Oh God, that we would turn back to You, the perfect image of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That we would pursue showing love and kindness and peace. That we would become more and more like Your Son. The way that we live our lives, by the power of Your Spirit, that You would help us to live our lives in such a way where we point people to You and they see Your reflection in us. God, Your very nature is love. And so we not only return that love to You, but we ask that You would help us to love people better. That we would reflect You clearer and that your power would continue to work in our lives. God, we can't do it in our own power. We need your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Father, that you are with us every day, in every moment, in every decision. And so we yield ourselves to you. We surrender those areas of our lives that have not reflected your glory. And we ask that you would lead us and guide us by your power. We thank you, Father. And perhaps this morning you find yourself in a place where you have been pursuing so many things in life. And the reflection of your life reflects a lot of frustration and disappointment and discouragement, hopelessness. Today, God's greatest desire is that you would step into that identity image of God, that imago Dei that He created you to be. The Bible says that as we step into relationship with Jesus, we are restored to right standing with Father God. In Romans chapter 8, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. And that is the decision that is before each and every one of us. Are we willing to embrace our true identity? 
If that's your desire today, we want to say a prayer together. And we want to say this as a church family, that, that nobody would be embarrassed or, or singled out, but to understand that every one of us is in need of a Savior. And so we're, whether you're in the house or tuning in online, would you say this prayer with us if you'd like to make that decision today? Say, Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe Your Son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to show me how to live. And He died and was raised back to life so I could have relationship with You. I ask You today to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for You today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's an exciting promise when we're welcomed into the family of God. And if you made that decision today, either here in the house or online, and you'd like to let us know, please grab a connection card and say, I've made a decision to follow Jesus. Please email us at info at albanync.org. Let us know. We'd like to take those next steps with you. We have Bibles in the lobby. If you'd like to grab a Bible or one of the little booklets as you start this journey of faith. But here's the homework, friends. When we go out of these doors, we have a decision to make each and every day and each and every moment. Are we going to embrace the image of God that we've been created to be? Or are we going to strive for less than? I guarantee you as we embrace God's image and God's plan and purpose in our lives, we're going to see incredible things happen. God bless you. Have an amazing week. We'll be here on Wednesday night for our midweek Bible studies. But otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday. Let's go be the neighborhood.